Yeah, who was here last week? How much do I need to introduce us? Oh, a few weren't here. That's okay. Um, so we are Dale Angela. We're from Sydney, Australia. We grew up on the little island at the bottom of Australia co uh, called Tasmania, where supposedly those Tassie devils live and go, shh, they don't do that. Um, so we led a church for 20 years, um, handed it over a couple of years ago and basically go, now go to other churches and help support them, encourage them, bless them. Um, we have three children. We have twin girls who are 31. We have a son who's... He's going to be 29 on Friday. And we're not there. So, um, uh, and we have one granddaughter who's five and we have a grandson on the way who's coming in December, hopefully. Um, I've been a nurse for many years, working mainly with mums and babies. Um, Dale originally was a strawberry farmer when I married him. <laughs> Things you don't know. But I actually... <laughs> and a goat farmer. Strawberries and goats. Um, but when Marco was um, speaking um, and just saying about that word about submitting to the Lord and the devil will flee, flee from you, this verse came to mind and Pentecostals love to read this verse. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And someone recently said that you actually can read it like this. Now where the Lord, where the Spirit is Lord... There is freedom. Amen. We tend to think, oh, the Spirit's here, we can be free. But we need the Spirit to be Lord, Jesus to be Lord, if we want to have freedom. Yeah, I'll hand over to you. You might need that later. Angela might have something to add as we go along. I was also thinking as Marco shared, I thought, wow, he should just preach and I'll listen to that. Um, <laughs> it's, it was really good. And I, I think it's because it's prophetic, what he was saying. It's true, isn't it? It's about it's what God is trying to do right now at this time. And I was thinking about the verses that he read, and just before them it says, in James, it says, God opposes the proud, Amen. but gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? And I think humility is an underrated attribute, even in spiritual warfare. And we shouldn't be surprised because... The guy we're waging war against, the enemy, what's his number one sin? Pride. Pride. We don't want to be like that guy. Yeah, good. And even worse, I think, for us, do we want to be people whom God is opposed to? Yikes. That's a humbling thought. Do you want God resisting you? I don't want God resisting me. Amen. So we need, to, we need to humble ourselves and submit to him. So, Father, we pray as we come to your word and we, uh, we look at this important thing about uh, submitting to you, resisting the enemy, and, Father, maybe getting unstuck, and that's part of all this mix of what you're saying by your spirit to us today at this time. Lord, we just choose again to humble ourselves. And we say from our heart, Lord, speak to me. Amen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. And I should have perhaps already said this, but thanks so much for having us. We've really appreciated being here. We dropped in for a visit last year very briefly with some other friends of ours, Leo and Christine Nakotra, who lead an amazing church in Sydney, Australia. And we were just sort of tagging along and we sort of relationally connected with people and now we've come back and we've enjoyed being here and it's been awesome. So I want to continue and thank you for the opportunity to continue on this subject of how to change when you don't want to. Uh, I gather there was a bunch of people from the show of hands that were here. Some perhaps listened to this 
online. I'm going to do a brief recap. I don't. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> well, that was a bit of a problem. <clears throat> We're not going to do that. I'm going to do a, a brief recap. Slow down, though. And I can't re-preach last week, but I think it is important to touch on the major points. So this idea of how to change when you don't want to, I mentioned last week that you could have the shortest sermon ever because the answer to that is you can't. But fortunately, and last week I spent most of my time unpacking these amazing verses in Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work, or other versions say, to do according to his good pleasure. So sometimes we're stuck, we don't know how to move, we can't change the way we think, we feel powerless, but that's a great place for God to come into Amen. if we humble ourselves. And he works on our, actually our mind and our will and he can uh, in some ways influence us so much that it's much easier just to submit to him. We do have a free will and he honours that. But God works both on our thinking and our will to be a particular way, a person that he's called us to be, but he also empowers us. You know, God never commands anything that he doesn't also give us the power to achieve. Amen. So when he says, be holy, it's like, now, be holy. Now, you go do that by yourself. No, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put myself into you. I'm going to, do, I'm going to impart the righteousness of Christ to you. Amen. And then I'm going to help you live it out in your own life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, cool. Be holy. Amen. And now here's the power for you to do it, both to will, to choose, and also to do. Amen. He's an amazing God. He's the mastermind changer. He's the dynamic doer. Amen. It's like he does supernatural cognitive behaviour therapy on us. Hallelujah. Thinking about this will part. Romans 12, don't conform. You know, the whole world is squeezing us, have you noticed? Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze into the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Amen. Now, that's as we're living sacrifices. You know the problem with living sacrifices? They crawl up the altar <laughs> all the time. All the time. Now get back up there. Death to self. And that's not death to the things that you're interested in. It's death to the carnal component of you. Amen. Because we're unique individuals and we can have interests that are in themselves and of themselves neutral. I'm a motorbike rider. We love yeah. riding motorbikes together. I could make it an idol. But I think it brings glory to God. I think he told me to buy one. And I'm out there worshipping. It's awesome. I could take it too far. But death to the carnal part of me. God's an amazing God. How do we get stuck? Last week I talked about it more. I don't want to talk about it and repeat it too much, but there are two key ways that we do get stuck, two root problems that we see in Scripture that we can have. In Deuteronomy, one says the root of idolatry. So there are things that we put in between us and God. We go to first before we go to him. It's whatever we turn to in our hour of need, whatever we may self-medicate ourselves with rather than Jesus. And secondly, linked to that, I think Hebrews is even quoting that passage loosely, perhaps you could say, uh, highlighting different things. We, we don't want to miss the grace of God. God gives grace to the humble. Amen. I just feel to say this, it's not in my notes, but grace. I lo when I was a new Christian, I learned that the letters can stand for something of what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's available to us. Amen. I heard and somebody preached that uh, grace was God's unmerited favour. Mm. 
Sometimes you're so stuck, you've blown it, you, you think, am I even still saved? Whatever your theology is, and, and you can just think, wow, you know, I really don't deserve God to give me a second, third, fourth, fifty thousandth chance. You know, you don't. And nor do I. But it's unmerited. That means you can't earn it. Unmerited favour towards you. This is a supernatural reality. Yeah. It's not just a, a thought. It's not a philosophy. I love to say that Christianity is not a philosophy. It is philosophical. It's not just a theology, but of course there's theology because we want to think right and the word of God has been given to us so we can think about him right. But it's experiential. It's an experience. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I know we all know that. God gives grace to the humble. God's riches at Christ's expense is unmerited favour. But I also believe the grace of God is his empowering presence. It's his grace towards us. It's a beautiful thing. We want to walk in the grace of God. We don't want to be resisted by him. We need to humble ourselves. Here's the thing with things that we get stuck in. I'm going to read this. Invariably, that which we get stuck in, whether through rebellion or powerlessness, is designed by the enemy as he attacks our weaknesses to thwart the call of God on our lives. Can I say that again? Invariably. Thank you, Marco. That which we get stuck in, whether through rebellion or our own sense or feeling of powerlessness, is designed by the enemy, Satan, as he attacks our weaknesses. Often he attacks the same place. Have you noticed that? We have chinks in our armour. Dale has particular areas of weaknesses that the enemy will get in that are particular to me because of who I am and what I've been through. And the the devil, could you imagine, you know, he's a sneaky guy. He only retreats from attacking us because he's waiting for another time to get back at you. And quite often it's in that same area. So he attacks us. And these things are designed in part to just to destroy us because he loves to come and to steal and to kill and destroy. Absolutely, because he hates us because Jesus is in us and he hates all of humanity. But also in God, it's to stop us going on and taking a hold of what Jesus has got for us to do. Who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. I want to ask you, are you stuck? Why are we here? What is our purpose? I shared last week that the big picture narrative is that uh, we're made in the image of God and therefore every single individual, every baby in the womb, every crazy person across a spectrum of gender madness, they all have value and they're loved by God because they're made in the image of God. I love to say if uh, somebody was to look at the price tag on cat, if there was a price tag on the back of her neck, price tag, Priceless? Yeah, actually, yes. Because if there was a price tag, you'd look it up. What would it cost to buy a cat? It's going to cost Jesus. Wow. That's That's what it's going to cost. And we're made in the image of God, and he loves us so much. I can't, my mind is blown when, if it's possible, did I say this last week, to conceive that there was a time when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thought, let's make humanity. They knew immediately what was going to happen. Mm. Now I think they knew before that. It blows your mind theologically, but you get the point. Adam and Eve were made. They knew what this was going to cost them. And you have inherent value. When it comes to identity, even if you're not yet a Christian here today, that's where it starts. That's how God thinks about you. All righty. How to change when you don't want to. We can let God get at us and give us grace and it can change the way that we think and he wants to empower us to live the way he wants us to live. It's amazing. We do this by faith and there's a lot to it and I don't have time to cover it all.
But this big picture is, that's what I started to say, we're made in the image of God and then the fall comes and the image is broken. It's marred. And then God deals with the children of Israel, various covenants, and none of these really are as good as the new covenant. Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to show us the Father. And so we can look at him and say, this is what God is like. Wow. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Go and look at the Gospels. Read them. Don't look at man's dead religion, but look at Jesus. And this is what God is like. And wow. He's incredible. He's other than. He's amazing. He's supernatural. And he comes and he dies on a cross for our sins. You know the story, the big picture story. And then we, by faith, we accept that, whatever your theology is. But we, we come to Jesus, just as I am. And he saves us. And he fills us with his spirit. And then he starts a work in us. He starts to shape us into the image of God. And it's not all about us, you know. This preach today, there's a creaky spot there. This preach, better not go there again. This preach today, you could take it in and of itself and make it like what we call in Australia, you probably say it here too, navel gazing. Yeah. If you're stuck, God wants to come and he wants to fix you and so that you can be better. Somebody told me that in America that there are a lot of Christians who believe in a thing that they call moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic, well, we want to be nice. Be nice, be nice to other people. Well, you know, love one another. Love is love. Well, hang on. It's, we don't want church to just be moralistic. Come here and talk about being nice people. Though that's important. <laughs> you do want to be nice. You don't want to be a turkey who's abrasive, etc. But moralistic, therapeutic. And part of even what I'm preaching about today is therapeutic, I hope, by the power of the Spirit of God and by His Word to transform us. It's therapeutic. It can be. But that's not it. It's not the be-all and end-all about how I behave in being nice or how I feel, therapeutically speaking. And deism is like, well, it's just that there's God out there, but we can't really know him. There's some sort of God, but don't talk about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when you're witnessing to people? They're okay to talk about God and philosophy. Now let's talk about Jesus. Like, whoa, we're making a distinction. It's not just all of those things. It is those things in a way, but in a godly, biblical way, not the way it's packaged sometimes. But it's also that we get on mission. Amen. Get on mission. Because if we're navel-gazing and think about what the church can give me, what I can do, how attractional it is, how much it gives me something transactional, you mentioned, that you come to church, I give my tithe, I make the effort to come here, so maybe that whatever happens up here makes me feel better about myself and go out and live my best life which our best life is living it for Jesus, but it's not really going to be our best life till we're in heaven because we're stuck in this place. In the meantime, it's mission to get out there on mission, get our eyes off ourselves and see the lost is where they are. In fact, some of how we come into the right place with God, I think, and to walk with him properly is to be captivated by mission. Recently, we were in South Africa this year doing some ministry and I felt humbled to be there. And near the end, we were meeting with the elders of the church we've been with for 10 days, much like this. I got quite emotional. I thought, well, what am I doing here? Trying to tell you guys how to follow Jesus. And I'm like, whoa. And mission is all around you in Africa. It's a bit of a dangerous place at times. You, can't, you have to think about where you're going and what you're doing and whether you get your phone out or not, or will you be robbed? Uh, and th these are realities. And we were a little worried because of stories that we heard. The pastor we'd stayed with had been robbed in his home three times, one time zip-tied onto the floor, aka to the back of the head, where's all your valuables? This is all the kids too. Wild. But it puts you on the edge a bit in a good way. And it reminds you that we're here on mission to a broken world. Yeah. We're broken too. Good. Fortunately, we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power, the awesomeness is from him, not us. What's this got to do with how to change when you don't want to? Get your eyes onto mission. Get your eyes onto Jesus for yes, for you and for me to motivate me, to recalibrate me, to put my, my, my mind, my heart, my affections back onto him. This is what it is really all about. But also to make me think he came for the world. You know, I have this theory that if uh, the church, Hope Rock Church, if we were captivated by Jesus and the mission that he's called us to be on, to go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples? Making disciples. If that captivated us, probably 50% of our problems and the problems that this church has, perceived problems and real, would just disappear. Amen. They'd just disappear. And love would cover a multitude of sins because we're captivated with the king and the kingdom. And we go, oh, yeah, I don't like this, you know. But it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should ignore things and sweep them under the carpet, not at all. I want to share three things today, and I need to get into it, otherwise I won't do it well. Uh, I want to talk about three things that we can do. Because God draws us before we're saved. I mentioned this last week. Jesus said uh, in John chapter 3, if I be lifted up onto that cross, then I will draw all men to myself. But then once we're in, God says to us as believers that we should submit ourselves, we should humble ourselves. God wants to give grace to the humble. He says, draw near to God, twice in the New Testament, and he will draw near to us. It's a promise. If you're stuck today, what we need to do is draw near to God. And even just by being here, I want to commend you. The fact that you're here, is that squeaky spot, is that you have made a choice to draw near to God. And so you can come into a place like this and you expose yourself to hopefully what this is, is anointed teaching. And so the first thing that we can do that I want to unpack today uh, in getting unstuck and recalibrating and fixing our eyes on Jesus and get on mission there's not, these are not an exhaust, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just three simple things we can do. One is we need to make a choice to expose ourselves to anointed teaching. Firstly, so let's talk about that. This book is anointed teaching. Amen. It doesn't need something special to happen to it to turn it into anointed teaching. It is anointed teaching. Amen. The Word of God says of itself that it's God-breathed. He breathed out into this. At the same time, I also know this. The Spirit of God comes alongside the Word of God. He'll never contradict the Word of God. And he will augment parts of Scripture at specific times that are just for you and me. Amen. The Word of God was written not to us individually. It was written, say, for example, to the Roman church. But it was written for us. And there are times, though, that God will highlight and take out parts of a sermon or in a book or something you watched online. And in our stuckness, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and he goes, yes, this is something you need to learn. And there's something of this, there's a presence of God on it. Somebody said to me about word and spirit, and you can have word-based churches and spirit-based churches as well. It's like two wings of a plane. If one is word and one is spirit, which one do you want to ditch? And what's going to happen? You need both radically. Do you know if the Holy Spirit shows up in radical power, crazy sort of things can happen. Now, I'm not about extreme madness, you know, animal sounds and all this sort of crazy stuff. Just the sort of stuff that's in the Bible, frankly. There's enough stuff in there that's quite confronting. And sometimes when God has showed up in my life, it's like, whoa, I felt fire on my arms, like literal 
but I'm not being burned. Overwhelming presence of God at at times in my life. Tears just gut-wrenching. This can happen. Anyway, I'm coming to that in a minute. But anointed teaching, being at a place where we choose, might be hard. It might be that you have to fight to get to church, to get to a place where you allow the Word of God to come at you and let it get into you so that the Spirit of God can do something in us to change our will, our thinking, our resistance perhaps to humble us and also to empower us through this Word as well with the Spirit's interaction to live how He wants us to live. It's like I was meditating on this week I've never quite thought about it like this before. You know how Romans says that uh, faith comes by hearing? And some would say like a, a rhema word or a spoken word. And the context is the gospel. It's evangelism. Faith comes, saving faith comes by hearing the, the gospel preached. And yes, you can read, absolutely. Faith comes. And this is what I'm talking about is where if you're stuck sometimes, if you're stuck and you can't break through, of something like pornography, which would probably affect a lot of us in this room at different times in our lives. Sometimes it's something that the Holy Spirit might just come. You know, when I got completely set free of some sexual sins, and we'll, we'll just go that far um, in my mind, it was just a simple surrender. It was a submitting to God. And in my heart of hearts, I just said, Lord, I don't want to be like this. I know you're a holy God. Can you please make me more holy? So it doesn't have to be outrageous, but it was the Word of God with the Spirit of God coming and working and affecting me. And then me choosing, I, I, I accept that. And that was a radical change in my life, just a shift. Something I'd wrestled with on and off for a long, long time. But the Word of God and the Spirit of God together came together and there was faith comes. Hmm. Something stirs in me by the Spirit of God. Do you need a breakthrough today? Are you stuck? Just another one on this issue of being stuck and how anointed teaching can come. In my own experience, in my early 30s, I'm 57 now, um, I reached a point where I thought, I don't think I want to be a Christian anymore. I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, um, but we'll go on with it. I said to Angela, uh, when I went to bed, I said, I'm done. Um, The main issue was this. I was angry with God. I was frustrated, and I couldn't reconcile things I read in the Bible and what I saw in the world regarding suffering. It derailed me. It's how can a loving God allow bad, that old thing? And I wrestled with it. I went back to Bible college and studied it, did subjects on it, wrote two thirty seven hundred and fifty word assignments on hell and is it an eternal conscious state of punishment? Went in there to prove that it wasn't, came out with a conservative theological perspective. And in all of that time that God was working, I'm wrestling with him, I'm taking time to... I exposed myself to anointed teaching, the Word of God, and I struggled with this thing. And I used to read uh, Genesis chapter 25, and in Genesis 25, I don't have time to go into it all, there's, uh, was it 18? It's in my notes. Genesis 18, verse 25. Uh, in Genesis 18, there's an argument between God and Abraham. And he's saying, well, you know, are you really going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 people? What if there's a few righteous people? And God says, well... You know, for the sake of, of, of 50 righteous, then I'm not going to... And they have this discussion that goes down further, lower and lower and lower in numbers, as Abraham's trying to understand the justice and the ways that God works. Habakkuk's a similar guy. He has questions about the justice of God and the dealings of God and things he doesn't like. Mm. I was that guy. 
And you know, I want to tell you, and some of you perhaps need to hear this, God can handle your questions. Amen. He can handle your rage and things you disagree with. But it's great if we choose to engage with him, though. Good. And don't do it in isolation. We're visiting someone this week, and Marco, I mentioned a couple of times how dangerous it is to be isolated. I'm sure you've heard this illustration in Australia. We use it as common. It's like a, you can picture a fire where there's lots of coals in the fire and you might represent a coal and you're burning quite nicely. But then the coal could be isolated from the fire, withdrawn from anointed teaching from local church, and then it will go out. Yeah. Isolation. I think we're sort of maybe even talking in the context of things that we're addicted to or locked in with. Quite often when these things happen when we're stuck is we want to isolate because of shame and guilt. Guilt is when we feel bad about what we have done. Shame is when we feel bad about who we think we are. But Jesus has come to take away all of our guilt and shame. Amen. Anyway, talking about anointed teaching, I was struggling. I was angry with God. I thought I would give up on God. I'm not going to follow him anymore. But I made choices to talk to people to help me. This is a practical outworking of all of my points today before I get to them. Um, to talk to pastors to help me. I didn't necessarily accept everything they said. I'm the sort of person I have to work this through with him. But others are important. Drawing that I would read things, I studied things. I came to a place, and I can't give you this. I wish for everybody that struggles with this issue, I could just box up my answer and say, there you go. Because you have to come to that place. Where I came to was meditating on Matthew chapter 18, and there's a, there's a phrase in there. It's the word of God. It's always the word of God. But the Spirit of God anointed the Word of God. And one of the things that Abraham said, will not the judge of the, all the earth do right? Mm. And just one day, a peace settled on my heart and mind as over this issue of struggling with the justice of God and his actions in heaven and hell, etc. And I've just felt a peace. I thought, okay, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. The Word of God... Spirit of God comes on the Word of God and it addresses the specific issue that I have. I no longer think, well, you know, the whole issue of, of, of all the omnis and how they work, omnipresent, omni, you know, powerful, omni benevolent and the other one. Um, I'm, it's not so much that I can now explain to you every last little bit. It's at the end of the day, there's this gap in my theology. And in that gap, I say, I trust you, Lord. Gap theology, maybe it's a new thing. <laughs> so one of the things we can do if we're stuck and we must do is expose ourselves to anointed teaching. Oh, can I just add this? If you ever doubt the love of God, take a long, hard look at the cross. So I want to encourage you to expose yourself to anointed teaching. And invariably, this flows into point two, we need to be in genuine, authentic community. Could I have a drink, please, Angela? I've suffered a bit this week with, I think it's allergies. I don't know. Is that right? Are you suffering with allergies? Yes. Mm. I have an extreme allergy, my specialist tells me, to dust. So sometimes it gets me. All right, we need to be in genuine, authentic community. That's point two. They go together. I, and there's a synergy. You know, I love the word synergy. Synergy is this idea 
that one thing by itself is quite good, and two things, well, that's better, three, but how about all three working together? You could have a piano, if you had a real one here, big, big old piano, and you, there could be three of us and we want to move it. Well, you say, how about we all take turns at moving it? That's not smart. And everybody gets worn out trying to do it. But when the three things come together, and again, as I said, this is not an exhaustive list today. Anointed teaching, and now we're talking about being in genuine, authentic community. But they go together. And there's more than these three things, but these are three key things I want to share with you. So, already then, genuine, authentic community. There's a psalm that I love, and I like to share this with people, particularly when we're leading a church and other times. Uh, Psalm 68, and there's a verse in there that says, God sets the lonely in families. The isolated. If you're isolated, you're lonely. And many people don't have good friendships. And you can even come to a church like this, and some people say, oh, I want to go to a church this big, and I want to scoot in the back and listen and get the awesome preach, transactional. I'll probably pay my tithe and I'll scoot out. That is not an authentic expression of biblical church. Straight up. And, you know, I was thinking about, I was talking to people about the different cultures that you can have in church and in nations of how much people go, this, that, and the other. It's not about trying to manipulate people to get to church and to push them to go for numbers so there's lots of numbers and the the pastors feel better about ourselves. I know, I used to be one. (laughs) You come in, you're worshipping, and you're looking around, oh, I hope they show up today. And you you can validate yourself and invalidate yourself by these observations. And you don't want to manipulate people. You want people to come to where there's living water, where the presence of Jesus is, where the word is preached in an uncompromising manner. That's what I think. Why would you want to go to a church that compromises the word of God? Pardon me. I just don't get it. I'd rather ride the bike in the bush and go back to my old ways. Forget it. I want to honour Jesus, I want to lift up this word, I want to believe all of it. I know that some of it's hard to understand, but I want to commit myself to it. I don't want to reinterpret it to try and fit this culture today. And I think, you know, I'm in Texas, and hopefully I'm preaching to the choir, as we say. You all agree with that? Amen. Yeah. 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 God sets the lonely in families. Are you lonely? Are you isolated? On the outskirts, perhaps, of genuine church community, do you feel like giving up? I wrote here that God is a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. I love the Trinity. At its core, at the very beginning, it's relational. If you want to look at the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like in its purest essence, it's Trinity. And everything flows out from the Trinity. All of creation is made relationally whether it's the stars in relation to each other and the tide in relation to the moon and the ecosystem or whatever or the cells of everything that works in our body, you and I are made relationally because we're made in the image of God. They made us, male and female. That's a fairly nice bookend to that conversation. He made us in their image, Father, Son and Spirit. Relationally is so important. You know, you, you can't have authentic church by attending a meeting. It's much, much, much more than that. It's not about a Sunday. Anyway, I've already said that. God can help move our mind and where we're stuck and how we're thinking, resistant to him even, and he can empower us. And one of the ways he does is anointed teaching, and often that's in the context, and biblically it is in the context of genuine community. God is triune, Father, Son, Spirit. Everything is made in his image. It's all relational. He places us in community for our healing. 
Ironically, it is also in community that we get rubbed and challenged, and it's in this mess that he refines us, in the mess of here. That I'm sure you've heard this before. If you find a perfect church, don't ruin it by joining, because you'll be there. And it's true. <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard that before, somewhere along the line. But he refines us for his good pleasure into Christ's likeness. He parents us. That's how he does it. How does he shape us into this person he wants us to be that is like Jesus? He does it by parenting us. And often he parents us through suffering that comes our way. And I'm not saying that God throws suffering on you in the new covenant, but we throw enough of it on ourselves and we live in a fallen world and things happen. And then God wants to get involved in that like a good dad. And Hebrews tells us all about this. That he, wants, he shows us that we are legitimately his children by the fact that he doesn't want us to stay as we are, but he wants us to help us and empower us to move forward into who he wants us to be so we can get onto his mission. Good. Good. So we can get involved in what he wants us to get involved in. Amen. He parents us. Sometimes it's not easy. And he might discipline us. But he disciplines us because he loves us. I want to ask you a question. Who are you really? Does anyone know? Are you stuck? And thinking specifically, we're talking to Hope Rock Church, the local church. There's only two types of churches really you read about in scriptures, the church universal under Christ and local churches. This is a local church. And we can measure whether we're in a local church effectively by things like this. Are you known and do you know? We had a lady who had a lot of brokenness in her life come in and out of our church the whole time we led for 19 years. And in many ways a lovely lady but a broken lady, insecure lady. And she often picked up rightly that sometimes the church was just not caring and friendly. And she would say to me more than once, I just want to be known. I want to come into church and there's someone, a few people, hopefully, who know something about my life and what's going on in it. And the pastoral heart part of me just thinks this is so essential, so essential for authentic New Testament biblical Jesus church. The church Jesus is building, did you know, looks a lot different to the church man tries to build. It's highly relational. You can uh, ask yourself other questions that might measure the level of how, imp how connected you are. And then some people say that there are five levels of communication or connectedness. And it starts with something like this where you have common conversation. It could be, good day, mate, if you're Australian, you know, or uh, how's it, but, <laughs> if you're South African. Or uh, like, what's my son-in-law? He's English. It's like, uh, it's a nod and bruv. Uh, you know, in subcultures, it's, it's, gee, it's hot this week, isn't it? This sort of cliched communication. So there's this common communication and how you're going, oh, you're from Australia, what city, etc. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think as we do that, we are just greeting people. The next level, some people say it's like uh, listening to the nightly news where, oh, did you hear today? A motorist was on the uh, such and such. They, we, we report facts to one another. And as we do this, I think subconsciously, we are trying to see whether people accept me for what I'm saying and do they want to listen to me and will they engage with me? 
So I'm talking about this because I'm trying to measure you and me as to how connected are you really. So is it just cliche conversation when you come? Common conversation? Perhaps it's nightly news. You're actually talking about some of the facts that you've seen. And each level of this communication, by the way, brings with a greater risk. And the next level of communication, though, is when you start to say what you feel about something and you expose yourself a little bit. So while I th yes, here's the facts and that happened and this is what I think about it. Hmm, slight risk. This is what I feel about it. Ooh. And each time we do this, again, I think we're testing the water. And you could ask yourself this, am I embedded enough in this church that I can go beyond cliche communication and that I can actually talk about things, facts, but then I can also talk about some of what I feel about that and my own opinions. And it's like higher, higher risk, higher reward. Yeah. And it's imperfect and it's risky. But where there's a community of love, people can find love, acceptance and forgiveness no matter who they are. When it gets much deeper, you can go into really deep, open, strong truth and love conversations. And somebody else said that at the most deep level, the fifth level, is complete, open and honest communication. So I want to ask you, if we're stuck and we want to change, first of all, are we making a choice to be uh, exposed to anointed teaching? And quite often, this works itself out in the context of biblical community, i.e. a local church. Are you in? Not for Marco, not for Hope Rock, not for New Covenant Ministries International, the team that I'm on, but for Jesus. Amen. Because he's planted you here. I was talking to a lady before church and uh, she said how she felt God asked her to come here. Wow. If you read through the book of Acts, there's like these summaries and it says, and the Lord added, and the Lord added. <laughs> this is not about trying to trick you into coming and signing up and doing whatever. It's about, is the Lord adding you? Is the Lord adding you? And are you added, actually added? actually added. And the last one is this, encounters with God. Encounters with God. Wow. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. You can have great anointed teaching. You say, gee, that was a good preach. It was awesome. Hopefully something of that today um, because of the word of God that's in it. But you can go away unchanged. You can share your struggles with caring and uh, praying friends and still frustratingly go away unchanged. So you can have the, the word of God and you can hear about it and you can even be in community and you share and you try. Do you know what we need in the mix? And perhaps ultimately we need to encounter God. Amen. We need to have a one-on-one -on -one breakthrough that comes from him, from heaven, Good. that breaks into my stuckness, takes the word of God, the spirit of God's, on it, there's people around you that love you and that's all awesome and necessary and everything else that's in scripture. But then, but God comes in and just, whoa, Amen. invades the situation. This can be outrageous. On the night I became a Christian, uh, I won't go into the full story, but on the night I became a Christian, I was 17, it was 39 years ago, one week before Christmas. And I'd been wondering about Christianity, but I was stuck in drugs and depression and messed up. And one night I was visiting a guy who was a backslidden Christian and he always used to intrigue me. He still talked about Jesus. And there was another fella, me and the other fella named Scott, we were going to go out that night and we were going to uh, go past a poppy field in Tasmania. They grow a lot of poppies there. And I was going to jump out of the car, commando roll, with a, a bag. Of, this is a true story with a, a, a hessian bag, a spud bag, as I grew up in the bush, 
and I was going to take the heads of poppies and we were going to boil them up that night and drink them. Because that's what you do. It's smart. Because we'd been boiling up magic mushrooms and drinking them and tripping a lot and doing a lot of drugs. So you must be able to boil up opium, poppy, poppy heads, right? We didn't have Google back then, so we couldn't check, but we thought we'll just fact check it by trying it. So you see, I was a smart young man. But I was also wrestling with God alongside doing this crazy madness stuff. They, they were running parallel for three years. And uh, anyway, there was this other mad Christian came. And like, he was a Pentecostal. Have you ever met a Pentecostal? It's like, whoa, this guy, he's just too much. It was one of those. And so he came and he's witnessing to us. So we're thinking we're going to go get poppies, but he's witnessing to us. And so he's going, raving on, and, and, and he says, you know, do you want to become a Christian? Are you guys now? Right now, right now, do you? Turn or burn? And I'm like, I don't want to do that, and not with you. You're crazy, even though I was thinking about it. And so my friend Scott, he says, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. I said, okay. So there's four of us sitting around a table in far northwest Tasmania in the scrub. And they say, all right, we're going to hold hands. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Non-Christian, homophobic, way back in the days. I'm not holding your hand. But okay, well, let's get this over with. So I hold hands with Christian one and Christian two, the non-scary Christian, the scary Christian. And down the other end is Scott. And they're praying one of the prayers, you know, Father, I, please forgive me, etc. A salvation prayer. And I'm holding on and, and they're all praying. And I don't want to be a part of it. I just want to get it done. God was at work. And as they're praying, I feel a black demonic presence in the shape of a man start to lift out of my body. Wow. Up, up, up. Now, I've never been to church before. One wedding, one funeral. Never been to a service. Listened to a few sermons on cassettes. And I feel this evil coming out of me. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> and they stopped praying and some of it fell back in. I thought to myself, that's not good. <laughs> and I didn't say a word because I really didn't want to become a Christian that night. I was still resistant. I was still working it out. I had poppies to get to. <laughs> but this happened and, and Scott's saying, oh, I felt demons going out of me and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, and I didn't tell them, not a word. I kept it to myself. And I, I went into the room. It was a hippie house. Uh, the guy, the good Christian, the nicer one, he was a Rastafarian who's backslidden into marijuana smoking. He used to be a heroin addict. And um, I seem to like these people. And um, anyway, I went into the room. There's a, a mattress on the floor and a candle and a Bible. And I picked it up, not knowing what to do with it or anything. And in my heart of hearts, I said to the Lord, Lord, I think you're right and I'm wrong. Wow. And I think I'm going to try this. I don't want to go into it in too much detail, but I was instantly set free of smoking, swearing, swore two times in three years. Wow. Once with my mouth, once in my head. Um, a lot of character issues that he's still working on, but I had all that radical things you've heard in other testimonies of this complete, utter turnaround by Jesus just instantaneously like that. Amazing. God was at work on my will and empowering my doing. I will say this, uh, after I went to church for the first time the next day, and uh, just by the way, the pastor prayed in tongues and interpreted, and I thought, Catholic priest speaking Latin, no trouble. <laughs> all good, all good. You don't have to worry about the gifts with the unsaved. It's mostly people who've been told it's wrong, yeah. that, that reject it, but people who don't know anything about it, they go, oh, whatever, they don't know anything. Anyway, just one illustration. I went up the street, I was telling a guy, ah, oh, I had this experience, and ah, oh, you want to smoke? Sure. 
lit the cigarette, not thinking maybe Christians shouldn't smoke, hadn't even entered my mind what I think about smoking yet, felt sick. I'm like, what? Out the window, I can't smoke this anymore. For it is God who works, both to will and to do, according to his great pleasure. We need anointed teaching, the word of God to come. I didn't know much of it, by the way. A smidge. In community, it wasn't a very great community with the nice Christian, the crazy Christian and the other guy, but there was something of being with other people. Very imperfect scenario, but God, bang, came in and and radically changed me, set me on this course. I'm going a little bit over time. I want to finish with this. Um, My brother-in-law is an Anglican minister, which in America, I believe, he's Episcopalian, would be the equivalent. And he's a good guy. He's evangelical. He believes things I don't, but he loves Jesus. And one day I said to him, Thinking about, I was probably a bit stuck at the time, but I didn't really admit it to him. But I asked this question. I said, when, when all is said and done, Richard, why do you still, you know, what is it that makes you still follow Jesus? To not give up, to continue to be in ministry, and to do the things. And he gave me a great Episcopalian answer. He said this. <laughs> it is a really good answer. He said, the thing that keeps me going is the historical fact of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a great answer. But I sat there and I thought, that's a great answer. But it's not my answer. My answer is that Jesus saved me. A messed up, confused, suicidal, just freaked out young guy. Really didn't know what life was all about. But I met him. I encountered him. Some smidge of the word of God had gotten into me in the context with other people helping me, imperfect as it was, but Jesus came, bang, in, and he set me free. I want to ask you, are you stuck? Maybe you'd like to stand with me and maybe we can pray. Is that all right? Angela, did you want to share something? I'm not sure where the microphone is. Um, I said to Dale when he was going through this um, with me yesterday that one of the things is that all of those three things can be met in the local church. So you can come here, you can hear anointed teaching. Yes, you can get it off the internet. Yes, you can get it from a book. But you can get it here at church. The second thing is community. Community is at church. It's in life groups. It's in your local church. And you can come to church and have an encounter with God in the worship someone prays for you doesn't even have to be someone praying for you but you can have an encounter with God at church and those three things not in teaching the community and the encounter with God and you can change amen amen you can keep that and sometimes it takes time there was another story I was going to tell that I'm not going to but I spent 11 months just doing it tough choosing to go to church I didn't have the spiritual fire back. And some of the stories I shared, like my salvation, is quite dramatic. But at other times, it's just quiet. Just a touch from God. And I like to say two words, even no words, from Jesus could be worth 20 hours in the counsellor's chair. And I'm not against counselling, especially when it's biblical counselling. Wow. But just encountering him and letting his love come on you again. And feeling his mercy 
as you humble yourself. I wonder if you need to do that today. I'm going to pray and give an opportunity. We would love to pray with you. I'm going to hand back to Marco in a sec after I pray. But today, it might be your first time to give your life to Jesus. And you found yourself here. <laughs> you're not sure why you're here. But God is drawing you. Like Jesus said, I'm drawing you by his love. And maybe you're stuck. Maybe you were stuck last week and you're still stuck. That's okay. God is more interested, I think, in the way you're facing necessarily than where you are right now. Are you, is your face towards Him? Are you on that path? So Lord, we just come right now. I pray for everybody in this room in yes, Jesus' Lord. name. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would come right now. We know You exist here, Lord. You are, you are, are you omnipresent. Lord, You live in the lives of believers. You, you, you promise to come into meetings. And Father, we just welcome You here. We choose to acknowledge Your presence. And, and God, we ask that You would minister to us. As we humble ourselves, Lord, we are making an active choice to draw near to You, Lord, and to cry out to You in our time of need. And Father, we ask in the Name of Jesus that You would move on our hearts. And I pray for everybody that might not know Jesus at this moment in time. Father, they'll have an encounter with You, that they'll come forward, that they would receive prayer, or that they would come to You, even in simplicity like I did, hardly knowing anything but turning to Jesus. Father, I pray for believers that are stuck and maybe have been stuck, whether it's days, weeks, months, years. Oh God, I pray for a liberty to come, liberty to come, where the Spirit of the Lord is, where we make the Lord the Spirit. Freedom comes. And so Jesus, I thank You for a beautiful Hope Rock Church and for this city. And I just pray Your blessing on them and just work in lives in Jesus' Name. Amen. Thank you, Marco.